Hello once again and welcome to our new devotional series based on the armor of God. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to go back and listen to the introductory video to this uh, new devotional series. Because in it, I tried to give at least some direction on how this is going to uh, proceed in the next several uh, devotions uh, as we look at the armor of God. But tonight we're going to talk about part one. And we're going to look at the very first piece of armor mentioned by Paul. Now, once again, as an introduction to the armor of God, Paul has uh, told us in, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10, he is encouraging us to be strong in the power of the Lord. He also says to us that God has given us armor to wear, spiritual armor to wear, armor that will fit us perfectly. And in this spiritual warfare that we engage in with the uh, demonic hosts, Paul says that we are fighting against not people, but demonic hosts, which include principalities and powers. It includes spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of the darkness of this age. And as we are at war, Paul encourages us to put on the whole armor of God. And as we mentioned in the introduction, some of this armor is for defensive purposes, but some is uh, some of the things that he mentions are also the weapons that we use in warfare. So we are both on the defensive side and on the offensive side as we gauge in this spiritual battle. And so we are encouraged to stand. That is our active position in this battle. Not to cower away, not to surrender, not to kneel down, not to ignore it, but to stand in the evil day. And then he says at the end of verse 13, having done all to stand, and then we begin. Verse 14, uh, piece number one of this armor, Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Girded your waist. In other words, he's talking about a belt, and he calls it the belt of truth. And here is our very first piece of armor, the belt. And as we've mentioned before in the introduction, we sort of want to look at what these pieces of armor meant to the Roman soldier, which is clearly what Paul is describing to us, and what the, this, these pieces of armor meant to the soldier, and then spiritually speaking, what does it mean to the Christian? So let's begin our very first devotion, part one on the belt of truth. Many years ago, when I worked for a bank in America, uh, every once in a while, we would have a, the, the officer in charge of security come to our individual bank branch and talk to us about um, what to do and, and what needs to happen in times of robbery or any, any sort of criminal activity taking place inside of an actual bank retail branch. And we were taught that if someone comes in and commits crime, or robs the bank. When that person is gone, out from the banking office, and we lock the doors and we secure everything, what we need to do as quickly as possible is try to remember what the person looked like and then write it down on a piece of paper that we had within our banking offices. And they, were, they would list all kinds of details like what color hair, what color eyes, how tall, how large was the person, what were they wearing? 
If you saw them get into a car, what kind of a car did they get in and, and things like that. Well, can you imagine if this really happened, which it never did for me personally, but if this actually happened in my banking office, someone came in and robbed our branch. And at the end of it all, I remembered what the person looked like and I began to write down the description. What would you think if the very first thing I mentioned, the thing that stood out most of all about this, this criminal was the belt? Of all the things that I remembered about him or her, it was the belt that came to mind. That would be pretty strange. In fact, what about Paul? Paul is looking at this Roman soldier and he's thinking to, to himself, I can use the Roman soldier, the gear that he wears and the weapons that he uses to explain to my brothers and sisters about the spiritual warfare we go through. And so as he gazes at that uh, Roman soldier, and in fact, I, I, have, I have some books on the Roman legionnaires. And in one of my books, it shows uh, through diagrams and, and pictures sort of what the Roman soldiers looked like and what their uh, armor looked like. And you've probably seen something like this before, uh, either in art or in actual historical books like I have here. But if you were to consider the Roman soldier, anytime that you've ever seen a picture of one, and then I asked you, tell me about what that soldier looked like. Do you think you would start with the belt? Probably not. You would pick maybe the shiniest thing, the helmet or the breastplate, but nobody would start with the belt. Well, Paul did. He started with the belt, not because it was flashy or beautiful, but because when it comes to the armor on that soldier, it was the most important piece of armor, the belt. Why was it so important? Well, because for one thing, of course, it's wrapped around the soldier's waist, but also they wore a breastplate that came in two pieces. It would cover the front, their chest area, and their rib cage and abdominal area, and it also had a second piece that wrapped around the backside as well. And at the bottom of the breastplate, they would come together, both pieces, and it was the belt that tied both halves of that breastplate together. The belt of truth was also it had a sheath inside where the soldier's sword would also be placed uh, or, or held. And so anytime the soldier drew out his sword, it came from the sheath that was connected to the belt. Also on the back of the belt, near on the back of the soldier, there was a loop in the back of his belt where he could put a spear in the back of. While he's traveling, walking long distances, he didn't have to carry his spear. He could just put it in the belt in the back of his uh, armor. Also, when it came time to hold uh, the shield, and we'll talk about this, the shields were very large and very heavy, but the belt had a notch on it where the shield could actually be hooked onto the belt. That way, when they're walking and they come to a stop, they didn't have to just constantly hold the shield. They could rest it upon their belt. Or many times in uh, the city of Rome, especially, they would have many parades where the Roman soldiers would be parading through the streets and everybody would celebrate and, and sort of give honor to their soldiers. And many soldiers, because of the battles they fought, the wounds that they received, and all the great victories that they won, they were given commemorative shields, small shields. And usually there was a picture of a battle scene on it 
or maybe the soldier's name was there. And he would take that shield, a sign of honor, and he would hook it onto his belt. And it goes on even further. It also, we also learn that for a Roman soldier, he wore sort of a red tunic underneath all the armor and it would come down most likely past his knees. But when he was in need of running, it was difficult to run when your tunic is reaching down that far. And so he would, what they call, gird up the loins and he would wrap up his tunic underneath his belt, tuck it into his belt. That way it would be much easier for him to run. And of course, the belt itself was a defense mechanism. It had long straps in the front area with these large metal um, fragments on each strip of belt to protect the soldier's mid area. But this belt was so important for the soldier. In fact, if you want to know how important it is, just imagine what would happen if a soldier ran out into the battlefield without a belt on. It would be a foolish thing. His breastplate would be flapping every which way. He would have no sword. He would have no place to rest his spear. He would have no place to rest his shield. It would be a very foolish thing. And on top of that, his long tunic would get in the way. And eventually, he would trip himself up and fall. A soldier could not afford to go into the battlefield without his belt. You can imagine what would happen if you had a large pair of pants on where you needed a belt. What would happen if you went out one day and you decided not to wear a belt? You'd be pretty embarrassed at some point. Well, the same goes for the Roman soldier. It would be an embarrassment to not have a belt on. It would make no sense at all. That belt, in many ways, was the centerpiece of all the armor that the soldier would wear. That belt held everything together. So with that in mind, Paul now looking at the importance of the belt of the Roman soldier, he now says to us, the Christian, he says, gird your waist, put the belt on. What belt? The belt of truth. Now, what does he mean by that? Some would suggest that he means that we need to be trustworthy. We need to speak the truth. And of course, that is, that is true. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love. And so, of course, we are to be people of honest lips, speaking the truth. But it's more than that. We are to, in girding ourselves with truth, we are to build our lives on the truth. Not just speak truth, but to build our lives upon truth. Now, let me ask you, what is something that we build our life upon that is the absolute truth? Well, I hope you believe this. It is the word of God. The belt of truth is the word of God. Now, I know you're going to say, but wait a minute. I thought the sword I thought the sword of the Spirit was the Word of God. How can two different things be the Word of God? I'll get to that towards the end. For right now, the truth that Paul is talking about is the truth that everyone must, must build their life upon. Otherwise, we end up into foolishness. 
God's word, the word of God is the truth. I've mentioned before about the discussions that Pilate had with Jesus. And toward the end of this conversation between the two, Jesus said to Pilate, he said, you have said I am a king and you have said rightly. And he said, for this purpose, I was born for this purpose. I came into the world. And then he says, I came as a witness of the truth. And he said, anyone who is of the truth will hear my voice. In response, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And then very sadly, John says he walked away. I wish Pilate stayed to hear the answer to that question. Pilate was someone who would have looked at the word of God as foolishness. And because this meant nothing to him, he had no firm foundation of truth in his life. And because of that, he lives a life of foolishness where anything is truth. In fact, you can't really know what truth is because truth is subjective. What's truth for one person is not the truth for another person. And Pilate asked the same question that people still ask today. What is truth? How can they ask such things? How can someone say your truth is different than my truth? But I can't say you're wrong and you can't say that I'm wrong. My truth is my truth. And I'm sure you feel the same way about yourself. That's foolishness. If someone came to you and said one plus one is three, would you say, well, that's your truth. My truth says it's one plus one equals two, but you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. Who would say such a thing? What kind of a math teacher would respond to his student in that way? The math teacher would say, you're wrong. That is not true. The truth is one plus one is two. So how do we get to this foolishness where people say your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's right. It's all subjective. The people who say such foolish things, they do not believe in the word of God. And when they reject this, when they cast this to the side, they no longer have any foundation whatsoever. That is truth. And if they're beginning assumptions about the world around them, about who they are, if their beginning assumption is wrong, then their conclusion will also be wrong. In other words, Somebody could be so academically brilliant when it comes to mathematics, biology, chemistry, and other sciences. And maybe that person would want to ask the question, who are we and why are we here? That person might know all kinds of math and all kinds of other life sciences. But if their beginning assumption is there is no God, we are here by accident. There is no law giver. There is no ruler of this world. If that's their beginning assumption, 
then no matter what kind of correct processes they calculate, the conclusion is going to be wrong. They do not start with the Word of God. Therefore, they will end with false conclusions. So Paul is encouraging us, telling us, we must build our life on the Word of God, on the truth. There was a, a man who came to my church uh, some years ago, and he was preaching a sermon. In the sermon, he said that he wanted to build his life on the Word of God and encouraged all the Christians of the church to do the same. But as an illustration, I remember he, he took his Bible and he plopped it down on the floor of the pulpit area and he literally stood on top of his Bible. And he said to make the Word of God the foundation of your life. And I remember many of the people sitting around me didn't like it very much. They, they thought it was sort of disrespectful to be standing on top of a Bible. But the point he was trying to make it struck me right in my heart. It made perfect sense to me. Now, of course, he didn't literally mean that we are to be standing on top of our Bibles, but our whole life, who we are in this world, all that we seek to do, the way that we treat our spouse, the way we raise our family, our children, our work ethic, everything about who we are, it must begin with the truth of God's Word. And we need to believe it in such a way, and I say this often, I even have to remind myself of it, we have to believe it in such a way that if we come to a place in the Bible and we read something that God has said that contradicts how we are currently living, if this is the Word of God, then I must stop doing what I'm doing and surrender to what God says, if ever you're in a position where you come across a passage in the Bible, a story, even one verse, and when you read it, you feel a quick conviction in your heart because you know you're not living in the way that God has said in his word, what is your response to that? What do you do in those moments? If this is the truth, we must surrender to it. Otherwise, we're not living in the truth. And we don't want to be like that. If we don't look at this as the Bible says, this is God breathed. This is the word of God. And if we don't look at it as such, then we're going to have a very shaky foundation and a very shaky sort of faith. If we say, well, I believe most of it. I don't really believe in what God says about creation. I don't believe the Genesis story, but I do believe that Jesus died for my sin. If you can't trust what God says about creation, how can you trust what God says about your salvation? How can we pick and choose what we're going to believe? It's either all true or not at all true. If there was any error whatsoever in our Bible, what are we even doing? We would have every right to throw this in the garbage and it would mean nothing to us. Or we can look at it as it is, the very word of God.
Today in our world, people reject God's truth. And as a result, they live a life of foolishness. Let's not be found running into our spiritual battles at the same time not believing in what this says, not trusting in what it says. In fact, here's where the sword of the Spirit comes in. You're right if you believe that the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit both speak about the Word of God. But remember this, in the same way that the soldier's sword is in a sheath that's in the belt, he draws his sword as a weapon out of the belt, the sheath that's in the belt. It's in his sheath, but until he takes it out, it's, it, it does nothing. When he takes out the sword, now it can be used as a weapon against his enemy. Well, in the same way that the soldier draws out his sword from the belt, so when it comes time for us to use the Word of God as our offensive weapon against our enemy, we have to understand that that sword comes out of the belt, which means if I'm going to use my sword, the sword of the Spirit in battle, don't you think that I need to then know what the Bible says? If I'm encouraged to speak the Word of God when I am at battle against the demonic forces of the earth, when I am uh, trying to uh, encourage someone, bless someone, if I am to use the Word of God to bring blessing and to use it against my enemy, Satan, then don't you think I need to know what the Word of God says in the first place? If I don't know what God's Word says, or if I don't believe it, I have no belt from which to draw out my sword. So if I'm going to have any sword of the Spirit at all, I need to know what the Bible says. In fact, let's look at it this way. I need to read what the Bible says. Therefore, I shall know what it says, believe what it says, and then on that day where it is needed to be spoken, it'll be ready to go. You know, there are many times in my, my life, whether it's a ministry or even a, a family member or a friend, I had someone come to me one time who was uh, greatly troubled because someone had a dream. And in that dream, the person that I know, in the dream, they said to this person, I had a dream about you, and in my dream, you were being cursed by the devil. And then something bad was about to happen to you. And then the person that I know texted me and said, I'm, I'm very troubled because someone said they had a dream. And in that dream, Satan cursed me. And then bad things began to happen. What do I do? And so, of course, I, I prayed for the individual. And then after that, I, I opened up my Bible and I, I, I recalled the story from the Old Testament about when someone tried to curse the people of God, tried to curse the people of God. He was ready to do it. But when it came time for him to curse God's people, he could not because God had blessed them. And the person that God has blessed cannot be cursed. And so because I remembered reading that, maybe even recently before this had all happened, I wrote uh, to the person, I said, listen, Here's what the Bible says. 
God has blessed you. You belong to God. No matter what someone has dreamed, according to God's word, you cannot be cursed because you are blessed by God. And the one that God has blessed cannot be cursed. Now, that scripture didn't just magically pop up in my mind. The Holy Spirit didn't just give me some gift out of nowhere, gave me some knowledge about a scripture that I never read before, and then I was able to pass it along to this person. It came as a result of me reading that, believing it, knowing it. And then somewhere in my life, it was held sort of like a treasure, just waiting for the day to be used. And because I knew what God's word said, because I believed it, when it came time to use it, I was ready to go with it. And so, once again, the Roman soldier, as important as that belt was to him, without it, running into a battle was a foolish thing. And anybody seeing him running into battle would have said, he is a fool. In the same way, we can't even think about engaging in the spiritual warfare unless we are building our lives upon the Word of God. Unless this is truth, unless we are building our lives upon what is true, then when it comes to standing against Satan, we will be helpless, hopeless. We will be like fools running into the battlefield with our armor flopping around and things like that. And don't forget this. Later on, when we learn about the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, when, when we learn about the shield of faith and all these other things, remember how you learned about righteousness in the first place. How did you know that God, the righteous one, has revealed His righteousness to us, in us, through Jesus Christ? How did you learn about faith, about how to grow in faith? How did you learn those things? How did you learn that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? How did you learn that? How did you learn about all these other things in the armor of God? Whether it's the shoes of peace or the helmet of salvation, where did you learn about peace with God? Where did you learn about the salvation of God? It all came from the Word of God. And so, as we picture that Roman soldier, picture yourself right now, Christian, as you are fitting this armor of God on to your life, that belt of truth holds everything else together. Whether it's defensive or offensive, let us make sure we have girded our waist with truth, the Word of God. Amen. I'll see you next time on part two of our Armor of God series. Until then, God bless you.